Have you ever had one of those days when everything was all planned out? It was a busy day, no time for interruptions. And then you got a phone call, or someone stops by, and the whole plan is interrupted. There's no going back. Your day is gone. Now, I had one of those days about three years ago. I was still ministering in Texas, and it was a normal, busy day at the office. Plenty to do when Austin, not his real name, stopped in. Austin was a young man, early 20s. He had quietly visited our church for several weeks. I knew he was homeless, but I didn't know why. He never asked me for anything but a ride a time or two. But this day, he showed up in the middle of the week with a request. I need a bus ticket to Charlotte, he said. It's $150. Now, a weird request, so I asked him why, and he proceeded to tell me that, well, it was just too hard being homeless in Abilene, Texas. There was only one shelter, and it was always full. He was tired of living on the street, cold, and scared at night. In Charlotte, there was a good shelter. He had been there before. There was a bed, there was hot meals, and there was safety. And I thought in my head, for $150, I could send him to Charlotte. I had a church fund with, that could help for just this thing. We could have it done in five minutes or less. For $150, I would never see him again. He would not interrupt my day, and I could feel good. Because I helped him. I gave him what he asked. And yet deep down, I knew $150 wasn't what he really needed. And so I took a deep breath, and I told him I really wasn't comfortable just sending you to another city to be someone else's problem and to start it all over again. And well, that's the moment that the rest of my day and week and several weeks and about two months thereafter began to disappear. I learned a lot about Austin over the next month, about his family who lived in the Dallas area, who didn't know where he was or how he was doing. I learned about his severe mental illness. On the surface, he seemed pretty normal, yet he could become very angry when stressed. He could even be a little violent. I had a few scary conversations with him. But I also learned what When a church came behind someone to help that person, amazing things can happen. And our church did just that. They began to get to know Austin. They connected him to resources for housing and for food, found him a caseworker that got him back on some meds that he needed. But more importantly, we connected him to his mother and to his stepfather. And soon, after a couple months, he was able to go back home. After he got back home, his stepdad sent me an email. He said, you and you alone are the only person to actually show concern for Austin's well-being beyond his actions. Most people give up and turn their back on him when faced with the fact of his illness. Now, I don't tell this story to brag about my great ministry skills. If anything, it's a confession offered this morning that more than once I regretted not giving him the $150 so he could get that bus ticket. It would have made life a lot easier. 
And I couldn't get him out of my head this week. It's been three years, and yet as I was reading the gospel, I saw his face again. On this day that Mark tells us when Jesus' life gets interrupted, not by one, but by two desperate people. Now, the last three weeks in our sermon has really been just a matter of days in the life of Jesus. If you remember, two weeks ago, we read about the disciples on the sea as they journeyed to the other side. In the midst of a violent storm, Jesus calms the sea. And once they reach the other shore, a man possessed with a demon is there to greet them. A violent man with a legion of demons. Jesus heals them. They get back on the boat. And they finally get back home. And that's when today's story happens. They're ready for rest. I know like Mark and Marty and the rest of our CYF crew are ready to rest after getting back from Detroit But there is no rest. When they get off the boat, the crowd is waiting for them. And immediately this man named Jairus pushes through the crowd. We're told he's a leader of the synagogue. Now, that's sort of equivalent to being uh, the board chair at Norwalk Christian Church. But not quite as prestigious as being a board chair at Norwalk Christian Church. But to be the leader of a synagogue in Jesus' day and his culture meant that you were a leader of your community. You were something You had wealth, you had power and privilege. It was a position of honor. And Jairus is the kind of guy that no matter what you're doing in your day, when he calls, you put a pause to everything and you take that call. But he's desperate today. This man of dignity and power, we are told, gets on his knees and begs repeatedly that Jesus would heal his little daughter, he says, who is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And Mark says simply, so Jesus went with him. But this is when the big interruption happens. On the way to heal this daughter, this important work that is very time sensitive, this woman presses into the crowd and touches Jesus. We're told she had been sick for 12 years with a uterine hemorrhage. She had spent her life savings on doctors who promised relief but never delivered, taking advantage of her condition and leaving her actually worse than better. She had nowhere to turn, no recourse, and on a whim she heard, here's this guy, I hear he can heal people. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know I would be whole. So she pushes through the crowd, she touches him, and we're told immediately the bleeding stops, and she feels in her body that she's healed. But Jesus feels in that very moment, immediately, Mark says, that the power has gone forth from him. Now, this is another one of those $150 bus ticket moments. Jesus knew something happened. She knew something happened. And he had important things to do. He could have just kept going. But he didn't. He stopped. He said, who touched my clothes? The disciples look at him like he's crazy. Well, everyone touched your clothes, Jesus. It's like the farmer's market on Saturday in Des Moines. You know, I mean, the crowd's everywhere. You're all touching each other. They think his question is ludicrous. But Jesus keeps on, and I love the scene of Jesus looking for this nameless, faceless woman in this crowd of people. He's just looking for her, searching for a woman he doesn't know. And eventually she reveals herself. She's scared. She knows she's done something she should not do. After all, the law in Leviticus says if you have bleeding like she has, you cannot touch a holy thing. 
And yet she's touched the Holy One. He is now unclean because of her. And yet when he sees her and sees her fear, but he sees also her faith, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of this disease. See, her disease was really more than just bleeding. Her disease was isolation. Jesus had to mention it in front of the whole crowd, the community, so they would know that she has been healed. That she can now be restored to community. Jesus could have just ignored her, ignored her, but he didn't. After this incident, Jesus goes back to what he's been doing, heading to Jairus' house, but he's waited too long. They stop him, even after he finishes talking to this woman and says, don't worry, she's already dead. But Jesus says, no, she's just sleeping. He heals their wailing. He hears their wailings. And he says, why are you crying? She's just asleep. He goes into the house. He tells Jairus, do not fear, only believe. And with his closest disciples watching and only them watching, he tells this little girl who we're told is 12 years old to stand up, to get up, little girl. And she stands up and they feed her a meal. Now, it's a whirlwind of a story. Two women desperate, nowhere to turn. And Jesus allows them to interrupt his day. There was so much more he could have and maybe should have done, but he let their situations get into his head. He couldn't ignore their plight. He let his plans get altered by these women who had no right to demand of his time, to demand of Jesus's power. And yet here they were and Jesus stopped and their lives were forever changed. Now, I know things happen every day in our lives and in the life of our church. Our great plans get interrupted all the time. And we can't just buy that $150 bus ticket and give someone a handout and offer a bag of groceries and some money for rent and a ride to the shelter, say a prayer, and send them on their way. We call that kind of ministry often a ministry of mercy, You're helping someone in a desperate situation, and it's important. And sometimes it's all you can do. But Jesus, he doesn't just do mercy. He doesn't just go around and just touch people and go about his business. He stops. He finds this woman who's touched his garment, and he finds this little girl who has died. He could have gone on, but he stops, and both of them he restores to community, to new life, not just life with breathing, but life with people, life among the living. He gives them not just mercy, but justice, restores what is broken. And doing that kind of work, restoring broken people and broken systems, bringing justice, that takes a lot more work, a lot more time. And it means you can't just give a handout. But you've got to confront a broken system that would cast out a woman and take advantage of her for 12 years. You've got to confront a broken system where a sick girl has nowhere to turn but a faith healer. Jesus risked his own purity, his own cleanliness, which was big in those days, to reach out to these two women. He allowed them to interrupt his day, but more so his entire life. And too often, I think, we try to help But we need that safe distance. We never ask that next, much harder question. It's amazing that we've collected all that we've collected last month for the food pantry. And that's a good, needed thing. But what of the people who must rely on our donations to live? 
Who are they? Who are their, what are their stories? And what is it that they ultimately need? In a place of such privilege, why do they not have enough? Those are the sort of questions that, well, can get you in trouble. But those are the sort of questions that interrupt your days, your weeks, and your months, and your entire way of doing ministry. And they're the kind of questions that Jesus brings us to. Because being a disciple of Christ really means nothing more than simply doing what Jesus would do if he were here. In our time, in our situation, if our hands were his hands, what would Christ do? How would he spend his time? Who would interrupt Jesus' day? May we ask those hard questions always. And may we never be too busy to stop and hear whoever it is that God puts in our way. Allowing God always to interrupt our plans for the sake of God's kingdom. Amen. Let us come to God's table of love. As we sing, leaning on the ever living arms, number 560, we'll sing verses 1 and 2.